Everybody say amen. amen. You know, I'm so grateful uh, to uh, be part of such an amazing church. And uh, I too, like Ruben, I love God and love the church. And uh, I'm so thankful in a special way for uh, just being part of such an amazing staff. Uh, I want to say a special thanks to Bruce and Robin. Uh, this has been the time of our lives, uh, the friendship, the training, uh, the laughter, lots of laughter, lots of training. Uh, it's been great. Uh, very thankful to the group uh, of the entire staff. Uh, special thanks to Anthony and Son. I uh, love working together and partnering with them. Love their hearts. Love their faith. Uh, love what God is doing through them and has done through them. And I just so look forward to the future. I'm so thankful to the Stevensons. Been together for many years now. And uh, just their work with the campus is outstanding. And I'm just grateful for the whole team. Uh, truly, uh, I, I can't talk about everybody on staff. Otherwise, I'll have no time to preach. But I really do love you. And the level of humility, trust, spiritual ambition, passion, dedication, determination for excellence, I believe on this staff is unparalleled. Uh, to take this many strong personalities, that's a good thing, if they're humble. And to come together humbly and to defer to each other and work together and to have the you're better than me, what do you think, Spirit? It's been amazing what God has done and I really believe that's why God has blessed our work so much. You know, uh, Today, I hope you feel that you're part of something big. And I know that's always the tagline when you go to those multi-marketing things, say, you're part of something big. You're, on, you're in on the ground floor right here. That's not what I'm talking about. You're part of something big that you get to play a small but very important part in your lifetime in the kingdom. And uh, it's amazing what we get to be part of here in the church. A title of the lesson today, please turn over to Hebrews chapter 3 is your next step. The Bible says, or this, I'm going to read this quote first, it says that all that is human must retrograde. I have to look that up because I didn't know what it meant. If it does not advance. This was written by an, uh, an author named Edward Gibbon who wrote a book called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And he said all that is human must retrograde, which means go to an inferior state if it does not advance. And as we end the year and go into a new year, we know this, but we got to ask ourselves, are we personally advancing? The title of the sermon is The Next Step. And that is the Christian life. Advancing. It's not an age issue. It's a heart condition issue. You cannot walk and still take the next step. It's a faith issue. It's a heart issue. This passage here in Romans 15, I love this passage, and as we read Hebrews 3 and 4 today, it says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. It doesn't mean we're going to learn, but that's why it was written. So that through the endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Isn't that what it takes to grow hope? Isn't that what it takes to advance endurance? Life is hard for everybody. 
You say, oh no, it's just hard for me. Maybe right now, but tomorrow it will be for the person on your right or left. Life is hard for everyone. But through the endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, the Bible said we might have hope. And I love that passage. Look at this quote I found here. Really cool. It says, The reasonable man adapts himself to the world, but the unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. And we're not adapting the world to ourselves intrinsically. We're adapting the world to Christ in us. We're adapting the world to Christ's convictions in us. Being clothed with Christ. They're not our opinions. As the Bible says, we're not preaching ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And I'm so thankful that I'm part of a church and get the spirit of church that is full of unreasonable men and women. That we're not stubborn for stubborn sake. That's a bad thing. That takes you in bad places. But that we're a church that's unreasonable as it relates to stagnation, false religion, faithlessness, pseudo-discipleship. And if that's not where you're at today, if you're not feeling I'm, that you're an unreasonable man or woman, then that's my hope today. Is I hope that as we talk about taking a next step for you, that you would become that unreasonable man or woman that says, I am not changing to what the world says is okay. I'm not changing according to what the world says I should think or do. It's going to change to me because I stand for Christ. Amen, unreasonable men and women? Now, don't use that when you're being stubborn. I'm just being unreasonable. This won't go well. You know, the sign of a healthy church or a healthy Christian is that it's moving forward. Even when you think about a company, what makes a company thrive? It stays relevant. It's constantly changing to the dynamic environment around it. What makes a marriage thrive? It stays relevant. It stays connected. It's constantly changing with the seasons of life. All of life comes down to having to take another step. I brought today my travel chair. It says the traveler's chair. Now, I've had this chair for almost ten years. It's got a hole in the bottom. It's it's been to many soccer games. It's a bit difficult to get out, but with my skills of removing chairs, I think I can do it. Uh, It's got holes in it. And this chair has sat at many a soccer games. Now, I have two chairs. One, I can put my coffee cup in it. And it's really nice in the morning. But, you know, this chair... um, you know, you're talking Saturday morning. This is where I'm at right here. Flip-flops, shorts, sweatshirt, coffee cup, watching my kids play soccer. And you know, sometimes you get excited, more excited than the kids. And the parents tell you, if you notice, I'm sagging in my chair. It's made that way. And, uh, and uh, you know, you just sometimes you get more excited and you can't... Uh, they say, hey, this is a kid's game. Please calm down. But you know, you, this is not Christianity right here. It's not a spectator's sport. It's all hands on deck. It's a full context sport. Imagine if I preached the rest of the sermon like this. Now, I know you know I'm laid back. But this would be 
Weird. But I think this is the danger. As you age, in your spiritual age, there's a danger of not maturing. And just going through the motions. Read the Gospels, read the letters, read Revelation 1 through 3. There's a danger of just, I'm a Christian in my chair. A comfortable chair. I come to everything. I'm not going to give you a hard time. I got my coffee cup. And I'm all for relaxing and resting and unplugging. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, you could have a nice chair with your best Christian friend right here. Nice relational chair. I'm just saying attitude. Advancing. And we live in such a consumer, entertain me, baby, society, that I think that can come right in the church where you're just like... Notice everyone's starting to sit up more on their chair. Like... You know, it's so exciting how God is working uh, in, the, in, the, in the church. The team of staff, it's a miracle how God's brought us together. Having a church leader in place in every group. Uh, the campus ministry had a goal of being 120 this year. They're getting very close and are probably going to hit it. They've had 40 baptisms this year in the campus ministry down in the south. And there's been more up in the uh, west group. I have a wireless mic on, but I'm not used to it, so I keep leaning on the mic there. Uh, it's been, you know, the singles, the vision was singles being led by singles. We've got singles leading all four of our ministries now. We're reaching more men in Christ. The zeal, depth, passion keeps increasing, and we've seen 36 singles baptized and restored uh, this year. Uh, it's been so exciting. The team ministry. Uh, you know, the TBTs, Truth Be Told Clubs. Teens leading Bible studies in, you know, at their schools. Lots of kids coming out. Senior leaders being raised up. Youth ministry nights have been outstanding. I'm so excited about our family ministry. We're putting a curriculum together that anybody that's in our preteen or teen ministry would go through this curriculum over the next you know, four to six years of being a preteen and teen. Uh, just so that we hit the fundamentals intentionally. The generational focus, that we're not just trying to convert somebody, we want to convert the whole family. And you see that happen in the Bible, where the Philippian jailer, his whole family, uh, became Christians. And, uh, and other places, uh, it's exciting just how God is working in the, uh, in the uh, youth and family ministry and what He's going to do here as we build a rhythm and culture that fits the lifestyle of a married person and is sensitive to that, but also calls the best out of them. You know, I want to read this uh, quote by a preacher. You know, this is the Coastal L.A. staff right there. We're doing daring things. Now, a couple of guys are smoking. They're not on staff. The two guys at the end. Many of you have seen this picture before, but I love this picture. I mean, I don't like heights, as I'll share about a little later in the lesson. But here these guys are building this... Uh, Huge skyscraper in New York City. You know, tools were a little different back then. Safety was a little different. And there they are having their lunch break. Just sitting, no, nothing connected. Out in a, if you look at the city below, it makes me nervous. But that's the staff of the coastal LA. We're doing things. We're trying to push the envelope. We're trying to make some progress. And we take some time to have lunch and work on our relationships. But the coastal LA is making progress. Amen? A little different hats today too. Uh, than, than then. But you know, there's a preacher right here on my screen who said back in 1870, he was a bishop, and he said in his sermon, quote, the millennium is at hand. 
Isn't that, you know, whenever it's a new millennium, people get all excited? Well, this was, you know, turn of the century there. The millennium's at hand. Man has invented everything that can be invented. He has done all he can do. These words were spoken by a bishop at this gathering in 1870, and they were challenged by one of the presiding officers who said, I think there's another great invention that's going to happen in the next 50 years. And the bishop said, well, what invention is that? This isn't a joke. He says, the reply was, I think man is going to learn to fly. The bishop replied, that was blasphemy. Don't you know, this bishop said, that the flight is reserved for angels? Well, little did this guy know, but this man's name is Reverend Milton Wright, who had two boys that just happened to be bicycle repairmen. Yes. And uh, even when they got a patent for it, they called it the flying machine. They didn't know what to call it yet. But little did he know that not only in just a mere 30 years, 33 years later, his own sons, Orville and Wilbur, on December 17th, would invent the airplane. And then little did he know that seven years later, before he died, at 82 years old, his son, Orville, took him up on a flight, went 365 feet, was in the air for about six minutes, and there's this 82-year-old man. And you know, they didn't have the safety equipment on those planes back in 1910. No oxygen dropping, no cushion to hold on to. I mean, it was rudimentary. And as they're flying and they're climbing higher, there's this 82-year-old guy, Reverend Wright, Higher, Wilbur! Higher! (laughs) You know, when we get together on January 7th through 9th for our our workshop and banquet, if you're not there, you're going to miss out as we go higher and higher. We want you to be there. Not just there in the chair. But there saying, what's my next assignment? How can I grow? How can I advance the church at my station in life? How can I help? On that day, we'll unveil the new plans. Now, there might be one cynic in the room who goes, you do this every year. You talk about advancing every new year. You have a workshop every year to shake off the dust. You're going to miss out on climbing higher and higher. You're sitting in the chair. But for those of us that can get older and keep believing, that's where the joy is as we do our Bible study here. Look over in Hebrews 3. You know, all day we've been talking about Jesus. We sang about Him. We watched the video about Him. Bruce's communion lesson was about Him. We sang Joy to the World. We talked about how amazing He is. Almost every song was about Jesus. Christmas is coming. It's about Jesus. Well, these people were not as amazed anymore by Jesus. And I don't know about you, but it's challenging sometimes as I get older in the Lord to still stay amazed at Jesus. And in Hebrews 2, the Bible talks about being careful about drifting away from Jesus. In Hebrews 3 and 4, as we're going to read today, he talks a lot about the writer, about the problems that come along with advancing when there's doubt and disbelief in Jesus. I don't think we take the sin of unbelief serious enough. Now, 
somebody came and told you about a sin they were involved in, and you said, well, what is it? Unbelief. Okay, well, you got me all nervous. But when you look at the Bible, unbelief is the chief sin that leads you to all other sins. So if we can get this out of the chair at the unbelief stage and be amazed at Jesus, it's amazing what we can come to. You know, the writer's talking here about the Jews making it all the way to the promised land. And think about this. They left Egypt. They saw all the plagues. They saw the miracles. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw, I mean, it was amazing. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jews left slavery. And then they went through a lot of hardships in the desert. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. And then they got right to the door of the promised land. And they sat down. It may not have been in this kind of sitting down, but they're like, no, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done. You've taken me far enough. God's done a lot, but He can't do any more. And I think that's our danger, is taking the traveler's chair, using it in the wrong way. Hey, I'm done. I've served. I've given. Hebrews 3 says, Therefore, therefore holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest whom we confess. What did we say when we got baptized? What did we say? You remember that? I do. Weren't you joyful that day? And that night? Remember how you slept that night? I do. For the first time in my life, I wasn't going, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't match up, but I've asked for forgiveness. I mean, I literally felt the confidence of confessing Jesus is Lord. He runs my life now. Completely. And the word there, apostle, means one in the Greek. One who has been sent with the confession. And that's who we follow. Jesus was sent from God with the confession. A statement of faith. A sense of follow me. He says He was faithful to the One who appointed Him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. Look at this last sentence. And we are His house if we hold on to our courage and the hope. Remember when that passage I read in Romans 15 about encouragement and hope? If we hold on. Check your grip today of which we boast. We all boasted, Jesus is Lord! Some of you smiled when you said it. Because you literally reminisced for a moment. I remember what I was wearing. I was a cable TV salesman back then. Had my HBO, free HBO shirt on. Had the long feathered hair parted down the middle over the ears. It's awesome. I mean, it was not a mullet. It was full class mullet. It was just... It was growing out. I remember that day. But the Bible says that today, we are His house. That the church isn't where we meet, 
what small group we're in, what age we are, how we're doing today. This, that He's building us. He's trying to build us into something. And He wants us to take our next step. And that's my only point today. Take your next step. You say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well then, your next step would be finding out what would be my first step. You say, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about Christmas. Well, think about Christmas, but don't fall into the chair as it relates to spiritual growth. You've got to think about, as I need to think about, how am I going to grow this year or the next year? I'm His house. He's building me and building you into something. And when it says that He's over the house, He is the foreman, the captain, the chief builder. He's putting the money down. He's in charge. We build it His way. And we've got to stay comfortable. Because I know we're comfortable with that sometimes, but other times Jesus telling us what to do doesn't make us so comfortable. We've got to stay comfortable with that. If we're not comfortable with Jesus being the builder and owner and overseer of the house, then our hearts are getting to a bad place. You know, he says right here, so as the Holy Spirit says, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Or this year? See, this courage and hope that he talks about, this is what's going to propel us forward. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the times of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years, saw what I did. This, that is why I was angry with that generation, and I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. I don't know what your time of testing in the desert is today. Maybe you're being tested with some intense temptations. Soldier on. Get open. I appreciate in the advent of text. The brothers are awesome, so many of them, in sending a text saying, hey, I'm struggling right now with feeling emotional, feeling lustful, feeling discouraged, feeling angry. Pray for me, and they'll send it out to ten brothers. The appropriate group. And I'll tell you, I get, no, don't text me, please, because I'm not, that's everyone starts texting me for prayers. Um, but I, right then and there, I just say a quick prayer. God help so-and-so, strengthen them in this situation. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's so powerful. It can go from where I'm at to where He's at and aid Him. Remember when the angels came and strengthened Jesus during His time of testing in the desert? I don't know what your time of testing is. I don't know where you're being tested to sit back in the chair. But temptation isn't sin. But sometimes it can feel like sin. As you're wrestling with it and pushing the thoughts out and dealing with your heart, sometimes it can feel like sin. Keep fighting on. Ask for help. See, I'm not praying. I'm not connecting. Well, then set up a prayer time with somebody on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. See, I live too far. Then do it on the phone. Figure it out. Pray after midweek when you're already together. Get the help so that you can take your next step. Maybe your testing is in your burden. Do you know what I mean by your burden? Everybody's got a burden right now. Parents? 
We wouldn't say it's our children, but the raising of our children is a burden. Right? And I heard it doesn't end at 18. They're already letting me down easy. It just goes on and on and on. Thank God for the burden. I, I don't know what your burden is. Maybe it's a financial burden. Maybe it's a family burden. Maybe it's your marriage burden. Maybe it's all of those together. Maybe it's really a burden. I, I don't know. But I can tell you this. In your time of testing, don't harden your heart. Don't just sit down and say, God, you're taking me far enough. I'm kind of mad at you right now anyway. You know how faithful I've been? What I give? How many years? This is how you treat me? I felt that before. Well, God, what's up? I mean, you're being a little hard to me right now. I'm a faithful servant in your house. I'm just telling you that that burden will pass. You say, how do you know that? Look back on the rest of your Christian life. How many big burdens? You go, hey, I got through it. The Holy Spirit can see you through. Maybe it's the burden of lack of trust. Maybe it's, uh, you know, just personal feelings. You ever get down on yourself? I had an acronym this year, and I, you know, trying to grow in these five areas. And, and as I was looking back over them, I'm like, I think I've grown. But I'm surely feeling some weakness and failure and stumbling. Okay, maybe I need to do the same ones for next year. Do you ever feel that? Especially when you go, I was supposed to be focusing on that, but not in that way, in a good way. Maybe you're. Your next step in your time of testing is your belief. You really don't believe the Bible or believe what God says. Maybe it's your connection with God, your friendship with God. You really think God in all of His power, if you're crying out to Him, is just going to go, eh, figure it out. You don't think He's going to help you? I mean, look up how many Scriptures, how many promises that God says, when you cry with all your heart, I'm there. Even if you don't feel like I'm there, I'm there. Believe it. Believe it from the Scriptures. And I'll get, to you, I'll get you to a place of emotional connection too. I don't know where it is, but what the Bible says, when you hear His voice in times of testing, do not harden your heart. Because you're not going to take the next step when you harden your heart. You're just going to sit back in the chair. Appreciate Roger Noriega. Roger went after some personal development things in his character and in and, his, and, and growth, and has been serving in the singles, converted in the singles, got married you know, as a, in the singles, and then has been serving in the singles seven years. And went after some personal character growth and professional growth, and he just kept hitting walls. And it was really hard. Two, three years, kept hitting walls. But I appreciate him wrestling through it, getting lots of advice, getting lots of prayer, and not hardening his heart. Appreciate a brother, Jason Van Dyke, single brother who... Uh, you know, came down here from Canada and has been serving in incredible ways in the Long Beach ministry and just had a lot of snags along the way. He's had a lot of talks with me and with others. And I appreciate it. He's been honest about his frustrations and about concerns and questions and thoughts and struggles as a leader. I appreciate that he's resolved. I think he's here today. He just came back across the border from Canada last night. Um, Jason, you here? All right, come on, baby. He, we got the text. He made it back across. Um, but he's here for six more months. Um, but so thankful for Jason and just how, as he's felt different things, he's made a decision, I'm not going to harden my heart. I'm going to take the next step. He says, so see to it, brothers. None of you 
has sinful, unbelieving hearts. You know, we see that passage and we often think about the next guy. Let's apply it to us. That turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, there's that word again, if we what? Hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As it has just been said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Look at this last few verses of chapter 3. He says, Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear they would never enter His rest, if not to those who disobeyed? See, we see that we're not able to enter because of what? Unbelief. When you're unbelieving become disobedient. And when you become disobedient to God, it all starts going downhill. We've got to tackle our belief. We've got to tackle it with time of prayer and in the Word. We've got to tackle it with getting out of the chair and getting involved. See, Christianity, faith, it doesn't work in the chair. I'm not saying you can't have great prayer times in the chair or you can't kick back in the chair. I'm just saying it doesn't ignite. You don't see God until you get up and act. Then it all comes together. You say, what do you mean? Well, look right here in Hebrews 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest, talking about heaven, still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Can you imagine making it across this journey of life as a disciple? Making it, making it, making it, and then you just sit down in the chair. Somewhere along the way you say, I'm not getting up anymore. I'm not doing it God's way. Hey, He should be happy with how much I've given. Can you imagine? He says, be careful that none of you be found where you make it right to Canaan's land. And then you sit down. He says, for we also... Now, he's taking the passage and he's paralleling our situations with the Jews, the Israelites, leaving Egypt and their situation. He says, for we also. Because he said, remember, aren't these the people that saw all that great things happen? Aren't these the people that were led out of Egypt? Aren't these the people that saw their neighbors and friends dying? And yet, because of their unbelief, they were hindered from entering the promised land. We have also had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. Because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're a teen and you're studying the Bible, but it's all up here. It's not in here. Let me encourage you. If you really go after it, be open about where you're not getting things, where you're not connecting, where you're not you know, understanding, but you really go after it. You get out of the chair and you start obeying the principles of God. You start denying yourself. You start taking up your cross. You start really asking God for strength. Your faith will ignite. When you combine what you've heard... With faith, God will start working in your life. Maybe you're trying to get restored and your heart's been hard for a long, long time. And you know it, but you're still doing this. I'm here, aren't I? I just ask you, put the arms down. Open the arms. And say, would you help me like like a young Christian? Would you help me learn how to find joy in my relationship with God again? 
Would you walk with me? I feel weak. I feel dumb even asking, but I just, my heart's hard, and I don't want it to be that way. If you're studying the Bible and you've been asked over and over again, you're like, nah, 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 I'll let you know. It's not going to happen here. You're never going to see God. If you're not willing to combine it with faith and get out of the chair, say, what do I need to do? What's the first thing? Okay, it feels a little weird. Not totally believing yet, but I'll try. Watch what happens. You know, I had a conversation. I've shared this before. I'll share it again with my father that made this passage come alive. I really loved my dad. My dad has passed away in 2007, February. It'll be four years this February. And before he died, he died at 82. I talked to him at 80. I talked to him a lot over the 20 years. I, I, I was a disciple that he was alive. And reached out to him a lot. A couple times he got up and left the room when I was trying to speak. A couple times, you know, the phone went like that. And but I really loved my dad. He was married for, to my mom for almost, 49, for almost 50 years, 49 years. He's a faithful husband. He worked super hard. Eight kids like us. I'll just say, anyway. Um, wow. And, uh, I, you know, I got some good advice from Kevin right before he passed away, about two years before I went after it once again. And I just confronted him and I said, lovingly, I said, Dad, we're in the kitchen. Are you ready to meet God? I mean, it's kind of a... And I felt kind of weird that here I am, a powerful evangelist. I'm like, man, I feel really small and weak and kind of... Okay, here we go. Yeah? Yeah, it's funny when you're talking to your parents. Are you ready to meet God? He said, I don't think about it. Not worried about it. No, I said, Dad, are you prepared to meet God? Not worried about it. I said, well, Dad, you better be worried about it. It's coming. Not worried about it. Plus, I mean, I already did that stuff. None shoved it down my throat. I said, Dad, you look at life different at 12 than you do at almost 80. Okay, that was 12. I, mean, you, I, read, it, I read it a long time ago. I said, Dad, but are you ready to meet God? Not worried about it. What are you going to do? You die. And this is what he said. I die, I die. I go to hell, I go to hell. And there's some of you in the audience that may not be that strong, but your actions are the same way. Kind of cynical, kind of, well, I'm not going to give him a hard time, but I'm not going to give him anything. I'll see. We'll see. And he says, what are you going to do? Literally, he said, are you going to change his mind? I said, actually, Dad, you can change his mind. I don't want to talk about it. Out of the room he went. Next day, Dad, last time I ever brought it up again. You ready to meet God? Don't want to talk, you know, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not worried about it. Die, you die. If I go to hell, I go to hell. And then he said one thing that hits me with this passage. And that was our last spiritual conversation we ever had. He said, besides, Marco, I don't have that kind of imagination. And he walked out of the room. What he was really saying was, he'd grown up in church. He didn't have any faith. And so because he didn't combine what he knew with faith and take a step and a step and a step, it was just nonsense to him. It was imagination? No. This is God. This isn't Disneyland. That's where you need your imagination or... Star Wars convention or Star Trek convention or that's when you need Dungeons and Dragons. That's when you need your imagination. You guys know what I'm talking about. But with God, it's not an imagination. It's just a reality that you may not have seen yet. He says it still remains that some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the Gospel preached to them did not go in. Why? Because they're disobedience. 
It's amazing to me how much faith we can have if we'll just obey. We teach our kids this song. Every kid hates it. Children, obey. Quickly, completely. Like, I know the song, Dad. You know, well, I don't see it happening now. It's, I have an attitude. You know, in there. I know the song. But it's amazing how much obedience can make our faith surge so we can take our next step. He says, Therefore God set a certain day, calling it today, when a t- long time later He spoke through David as it was said before. Today if you hear His voice. Do you see a pattern here? Third time the writer is saying this in two chapters. Today if you hear His voice, do not harbor, hard, harden your hearts. Is your heart softer today or harder today? For Joshua had given them rest. God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest, talking about heaven, for the people of God. Anyone who enters God's rest must also rest from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, that none of you will, none will fall. No one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing sword and spirit, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the hearts. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. You think anybody's going to be sitting in the chair on Judgment Day? Just God. Different type of chair. Everybody stand up, the Bible says, and bow down and make Jesus Lord. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, here he says it again, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, I've got to grow in a lot of areas. I need to go back to the throne of grace over and over again to find the confidence, to find the mercy. Even as I'm taking communion lately, I realize this. Being a parent brings out sin in you that's been dormant. It's not been caused. You can't blame... I can't blame my sin on what someone else does. Right? Well, you made me mad. Why? Because you were mad. Alright? I choose to get mad if you're mad. Or I choose to whatever. And I realize sin is dormant. It's kind of levels of... I find myself sometimes taking communion going, God, forgive me for my impatience. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my anger. Forgive me for being harsh. All in my parents. Blowing it constantly. I gotta go back. What does that mean? I gotta go back to the throne. God, can you help a brother out a little bit? <laughs> HBO, help a brother out. I need some more grace and mercy to help me in my time of meeting. Not feeling too confident right now, but I'm just coming. Help me out. Otherwise, I'm not gonna take the next step. You know, I've been working on being more loving over the last uh, 22 years. And, um, ha ha ha. And, uh, Henry and I were talking about a situation, ministry situation, as we always do. And he says, well, bro, Henry asked, kind of, well, bro, and I'm thinking, what's he going to say? Just seems like this next decade will be a decade of growth for you. 
that you really grow in your love. And I'm thinking, you know, I sink. He did it very loving and gentle, encouraging. But in my heart, I sank. Like, well, what have I been doing the last two decades? <laughs> Thought those were the decades of love. Just keeps you humble. He says, bro, you said you were overwhelmed. Was I hard with you? I said, not at all. Just me getting down on not growing as much as I want to. So I've got to go back to the grace, back to the throne. You know, I cheered about my acronym of all the areas I wanted to grow. As I looked at it, I'm like, wow, how much have I grown? Back to the throne. You know, as a teen parent, I was very impatient this week, irritated, got angry. Um, and that's something I was working on was patience. And now I'm finding myself being impatient all the time. And what is impatience? It's pride. You're not moving as fast as I need you to move. Or getting, you know, or you're not. It's pride. It's lack of love. And so as I said, God help me grow in my love. Expressing itself, it sounds so good. Expressing itself through patience and humility as I take on this whole new responsibility because I know I'm going to be squeezed. You know, anytime you take on more responsibility of any kind, your character comes out even more. Now I'm finding myself more impatient than ever. Not with anybody in particular. I'm just saying it's funny how you work on something. And what does that mean? I have to go back to the throne. You know, when Pablo Casals, this is a a world-class cellist who died in the 70s, he was the best in the world. And at 70 years, or he was 95 years old, and a young reporter said, Pablo, why do you still practice Six hours a day. You're the best cellist in the world. He says, I think I'm still making progress. Progress, the word means, some believe it came from the concept that when an army was going to come to town, the people at the town were instructed to cut the shrubs and the trees to make way for the army. And we look at our own life and ask ourselves, the shrubs and the trees. You know, there's a log over the river right here. I was with the single brothers on a retreat a few weeks back. And we started out the retreat on a night prayer hike. And I was hoping to be leading, but I was at the back. And the brothers go, let's cross the creek. I'm like, oh, jeez. So I last one to cross the creek, jumped across these rocks. Creek slash river. Not rushing, but that's not it. So then they go, let's cross back over. And I'm like, oh, gosh. This time, let's use a log. So they go, one, two, three, four, five. Then comes Marco, last. The leader's supposed to be in front, but I was a little nervous. And then um, they go, let's go. I'm like, all right. And then I slipped on a rock and sprained my ankle. But I, you know, I landed like I said, like a puma, is what I told them. Because <laughs> I, I looked like I was going to dump, and I landed on my feet. But little did I know, I just sprained my ankle. So then I go across the, um, the log. I'm like, one step, two steps, three steps, whoosh. And I landed right on one of the nubs of the trees, and it just punctured my hand. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Pulled out the old Kleenex. I'm like, Elias is over there. Because <laughs> it's dark, and he saw me fall, but didn't know I was severely bleeding. And uh, he's like, come on, bro. I'm like, all right. This, this stinks. Back across the log. <laughs> This time, I just scraped the skin off the top of my hand. I'm like, Elias, this isn't working. (laughs) So there I am with my Kleenex and blood, you know. 
and Elias comes walking over to help me, and he's like, laughing. I said, Elias, I'm not laughing. He goes, I know, but this is going to be such a good sermon. Uh, he meant for me to use, not him. And then he, I mean, it's just so wimpy. Elias then helped me across. Oh! And there I am with a sprained ankle, a punctured hand, and, a, and Elias looks at me and goes, oh, it's nothing. Um, sometimes you need a little help, even when you don't want a little help. Crossing a little creek with the brothers. Take your next step today. I don't know what it means for you, where it is for you. Maybe your belief, maybe getting help, maybe getting open, maybe your personal growth, maybe in getting involved, contributing. Maybe it's time to become a Christian this year. I don't know, or restored. But take your next step. I just want to close with this statement. There's a tombstone in the Alps, and it says simply this, three words on the grave of a guide who died while climbing the Alps. He died climbing. And that needs to be us. As we take our next step, you say, I've already taken a lot and I'm getting older. Who cares? You go, but I need a chair. Well, get a chair with wheels. Get some help from the brothers to cross the logs. He died climbing. Isn't that the life of faith? Let's go ahead as a ministry. Let's take our next step. That's an actual guy climbing in the Alps. And let's go to the heights that we could say just as Wilbur Orville's dad said, Milton, higher! Higher! Amen?